Yeah. Hey, I'm here. Okay. That's the Spirit's role in the work of the church. And that is, think about it for a second. All right, I'm going to pick on Bill and Tricia. We could have two unsaved people preparing the bagels, the coffee, the juice, Sunday, Wednesday, and it wouldn't change a thing, right? We could have people cleaning the building on a weekly basis on a checklist, and they could be unsaved people. It wouldn't change a thing. We could have people that are professional teachers who teach in school, who could teach Sunday school and just get material and information and teach information. And, and, and the danger is, as we're going to look at tonight, the danger is what, what would change? What would change dramatically in the church if we took all of our workers out of the ministry and plugged in qualified, unsaved people to do that? Would there be much difference in the church? Um, and that's that's the nagging question because there should be not just a there there's more than just a qualitative difference in the sense of all right so somebody's a better teacher than me or somebody's a better cleaner than somebody else there is something far more significant that hopefully we will see as we'll look at that tonight so overviewing the issue as I said my glasses are broke so they're on order and I get these old cheapies I got at Walmart not uh, Myers on Saturday night. Right there at the top of page 3.1, overview the issue. Let me just hit this stuff. These are the couple of places that I do read stuff to get us rolling. It says, When Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the coming of the Spirit. We have already studied the great event of Pentecost when the Spirit came and indwelt the church. Because of the Spirit's indwelling, Scripture at times refers to the church as God's temple or the temple of the Spirit. The Spirit's ministry is vital to the growth and effectiveness of the church as a whole, as well as each local church. So here's where our focus is going to be tonight. Examine the concept of the church as God's temple, and that is not the building, the people. That no longer is the picture to be God resides in a building, because even Solomon, when he built the most extravagant and beautiful temple ever made in the history of the true God, even in 1 Kings 8, Solomon says, this temple cannot contain you, the world cannot contain you. So obviously, what we're talking about is not just simply a change from a building to people, but still the realization that God is everywhere present. There's not just a little slice in me and a little slice in you. I have 100% of the Holy Spirit in me, and you do as well. How that is possible, that's the miracle of the fact that he is God and we are not. You know, that is where we're we're going. Explore the role of the Holy Spirit in relation in the church and in our lives, and this is going to be a key issue. And then evaluate whether we are rightly relating to the Holy Spirit. So, that being said, there has been a lot of debate in churches about what does the Holy Spirit look like? How do we know if we are a church that is a Spirit-filled church? Are things happening? Are things not happening? Um, if you've got churches where people are shouting and jumping up and down and saying hallelujah, then does that mean that there's a lot more spirit there than we got here? And some people would say yes. You know, It's like there's, there's a lot of spirit going on. There was the Toronto revival back in the 1990s where there was the manifestation of the spirit that led to people having a laughter revival and people running up and down aisles barking like dogs. That was called a movement of the spirit. All right? So... We're going to have to try to evaluate some of those things, and hopefully your, your look on your face gave me the same skepticism, I would hope. Yes, there's nothing in Scripture that's going to even in any way remotely make us think that that is going to be an evidence of the Spirit of God by people going berserk up and down an aisle, barking like a dog, or falling on the ground, rolling and laughing. But thousands, thousands of ch- people and multiple churches followed suit with that thinking. So here's where we look down at grasp the issue, and, and here's the questions that are going to kind of flavor the night, and we'll come back to these in a little bit as we walk through um, what we're going to consider about the Spirit directing our ministry in the church. Here's the questions. In what sense is the church the temple of the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the church? What does it mean for a church and for individuals to rightly relate to the Spirit? And what results are predictable from being open to the Spirit's work in the life of the church? In other words, yes, the Spirit began the church. The Spirit empowers the church. Without the Spirit, there would be no church. 
Um, it is the Spirit of God, according to 1 Corinthians 12, the Spirit of God. We are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. We are put by the Spirit into Christ. That's why over and over in the New Testament it is said we are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Because the Spirit's work is to call us out to, in regeneration, put us into the body of Christ. We're called out, put in. That's why we're called in Christ. Now, there's a lot of different thinking out there of what that looks like. And, and obviously, we want to be a church that couldn't just simply say, all right, we're going to pull out all the VBS workers, pull out all the Sunday school teachers, pull out all the people, and plug in a bunch of unsaved people next week and see if anything's different. And the scary thing is, a lot of churches, there wouldn't be much different. You could find musicians that are just as good or better, that can play those songs just as good or better couldn't sing just as good or better. I mean, years and years ago, and you can still go there. You can still go see the Messiah sung at Hill Auditorium in Ann Arbor, all right? And I can remember when I was in junior high, you know, how in the world I went to see the Messiah when I was in seventh grade. I remember there was an intermission. I'll never forget this. Right before the intermission, the last song was Amen. I thought, okay, this is a quick one. I didn't know that Amen could be sung for that long. I was just, you've got to be kidding me, all right? But those people are fabulous singers, fabulous players, but quite honestly, probably most of them do not know Christ. And even though every word that they sing is Scripture, is there power in what they're doing? Well, there is power in the Word of God, Paul would say, as he said in Philippians 1. So that's what we're going to wrestle with. Now here on these sound bites, sound bites are simply, as I said before, to kind of stir the pot a little bit. Uh, some of them are good, some of them are not so good. So you glance at them for just a moment, if you would, and whatever grabs you, good or bad, tell me, all right? Just glance at them. And if you don't have a book, uh, we had some extras in here. All right. All right. Any that you read, just to just grab you and go, you know what, that just doesn't sound right, or that one sounds right on. Or if you're like, I don't want to take a chance on giving the wrong answer, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I'm going to play it safe and just sit here and wait. Agree or disagree, the church can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. And you're like, oh, that's another tricky question. That word nothing just kind of messes with me here a little bit, all right? Well, at first I wanted to say Dad was right on, and I thought it can accomplish a lot, maybe not to build God's kingdom, yes. but it can still do things. Right. And the question is, and that's, I think, what you hit right there is the key, and that is, Bev, when you're saying that, you're hitting at, the answer to that is, no, the church cannot do anything without the Holy Spirit if we are doing what God's Word says we are to do. Now, obviously, there can be a lot of things being done by churches under the name of Christianity that have nothing to do with really God's Word or God's mission. And at the end of the day, yeah, they don't need the Holy Spirit for that because they're not following the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. All right? Anything else on there? Any, any negative one that you read this and you go, ah, I don't know if I like that. Yes. Um, we should be open to any and every expression of the Holy Spirit in church. That's kind of odd. Okay. Any and every are pretty key words. Yeah. Is it dangerous to say that? Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and why, why would you, I, I heard, yes, I heard a couple, you know, little grunts, yes, okay. I heard a couple yeses in there. Why? Why would we say it's dangerous? Because right, I'm always going to throw in the why question. It's easy to go, yes. And then the teacher asks the why question. We're like, eh, I don't know. But yes. Rituals? Odd rituals? Okay. Who knows? All right. Okay. Good. Very good. Very good. Carolyn, you had something. She stole your thunder. You're sitting there waiting, and Bev just jumped in and stole your thunder. I'm sorry. All right, and that is, and that really is part of the key. Bill, you had something, and then over here to Wes. I don't know how different it is, but you mentioned it with the revival in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Running up and down the aisle, barking like dogs and laughing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I don't eat. Yeah. But, you know, one of the key things of movements like that is, believe it or not, it's junior high all over again. It's called peer pressure, and that is... If 
these people are leaders and they have this experience and they say for me to be like them in following God and having the power of the Spirit, I've got to be like them. Eventually, it is the, the crowd euphoria. They do it, they do it, I better do it. So suddenly we're doing it. We don't know why. And I mean, there's been a lot of people writing about this. That even in some of that stuff, there's a measure of hypnotism. And I don't mean somebody doing the thing back and forth. It's just drawing the crowd in, the repetition of music that gets people going, and it's just repetitive things. So that type of thing, yeah, you can work up a frenzy. And I don't want to equate this as exactly the same, but Hitler was really good at doing that, working up a frenzy with the right things so that people gave in and they did horrific things because they parked their minds aside because they followed the crowd, all right? And, and so what you said, Bev, is the key is... Is everything that we see a genuine manifestation of the Spirit? What is the measurement of that? How, do we, how, how can we evaluate that? Okay, yeah, absolutely. And Wes, you probably just, she probably stole your thunder now because well, Carolyn's stealing everybody's thunder tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically on that, you think it's the Pentecostal church is where there is a lot of So he's already, as I said at the beginning of this class, and I said, when we get on the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, it is so easy to jump down a bazillion rabbit trails. And that's one of the key rabbit trails. And I'm not saying you did it. That's just where so much of this discussion can go when it talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What is the Spirit doing? And how can we, as Community Bible Church, evaluate whether there are evidences of the Spirit at work in this church? And if we want to evaluate that, what does that look like? Does that look... Well, here's... Let's, let's read Brent here, all right? And since I didn't get the homework to you, I'm ass- or the homework assignments, I'm assuming that you didn't get it done, so I'm assuming you have no idea of the story about Brent. So here's Brent. Brent recently moved... This is the bottom of 3.1. Brent recently moved with his family across the country in order to take a new job. Thankfully, they were able to fi- quickly find a new church home and have plugged right in. While their new church reminds them in many ways of the church they just left, there are some differences. In particular, their new church is more traditional and conservative with respect to worship, style, and expression. While it took some getting used to, Brent and his family have really grown to appreciate the benefits of both styles. However, something rather unexpected happened at church this morning. During one of the songs, another new member raised his hands in worship. While Brent thought nothing of it, you would have thought the man set his pew on fire by the reaction of most everyone else. The hand-raising event was easily the most popular topic of conversation as everyone left. The audience reaction troubled Brent, and he is now wondering if his church is receptive to the activity of the Holy Spirit. While the church is loving and does many things well, what accounts for the general negative reaction to someone's physical expression of worship? How can we know if, how can Brent know if his church is open to the work of the Spirit what kind of evidence should he look for? All right. So that's just a little, a little snippet of life. So, yeah, I grew up in a church where people didn't amen very loud or not frequently. And occasionally there'd be a visitor. And it was pretty evident who the visitor was because suddenly there'd be this rip-roaring amen in the back. And, you know, and this is back in the days when we had a junior high section, a senior high section. Every kid in those sections would whip around, you know, every kid. And then the, the adults that didn't really care, they're going to whip around, look, who is this person, all right? Now, that's, we've, we, we get so traditionally minded and we have such a mindset of what church should look like, sound like, feel like, that if it doesn't look like, sound like, feel like that, it's either not good or it's like, Hey, maybe that's something we need. It's either one of those two. It's never in the middle. It's either, what in the world was that? Get it out of here. Or that sounded really cool. Maybe we need that too because we're sitting around with our hands on our, on our seats, all right? So if we're going to understand 
I hope that's not mine. I thought I'd turn my sound off, but I don't remember that sound of mine. So, If we're going to understand, again, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it starts with walking through these steps. The, the, the issue that we want to grasp is this issue here. Whoa. Grasping the issue, the key questions we've already read, sound bites we've talked about, but as we said each week, we want to try to take where are we trying to go with this. So you can write this in. You don't have to write this in. This is just a little simple conclusion that I've put for mine on page 3.2 where it says, what is the central question or issue before us? Here's what I would say is where we're trying to go. Here's what they're trying to get us to think about. What is the role of the Holy Spirit today and what should it look like in the church? So we're not saying what was the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament or in the book of Acts what is the role of the Holy Spirit today? Is it the same as Acts? Is it the same as the Old Testament? Is it different? All right. So what is the role of the Holy Spirit today, and what should it look like in the church? In other words, how can I evaluate if what we have at community or any other church that I'm attending, is this really the Holy Spirit, or is this something that has been worked up under the pressure of quite honestly, peer pressure, and now we got people barking and howling and rolling in, in, in their seats. Um, when I was in China, I had one of my co-workers, one of the house church leaders, he wanted to do something on the Holy Spirit. He found all these video clips of all this crazy stuff. And so Chinese are like, how in the world could this happen? And it's hard for me to explain. Well, you got to understand, all it takes is a little sliver of a wrong thought plugged into a church and Satan can run with it. And... Uh, and then you throw in a little peer pressure to make it work, and it works. Now, here in these scriptures, what they've done is, in this section, instead of having a scripture question, scripture question, it's going to give us a number of scriptures to read, and it's driving home really a key issue about the church, and that is the church is the temple of the living God, not a building but also that the Holy Spirit is the one that makes the church that kind of group, that, that kind of people. Now, if you notice down right before we look at Ephesians 2, uh, the last few sentences of that, that big paragraph there, it says, the passage is below. I don't know if you can find this here. You've got one, two, three paragraphs under study of the scriptures. The last couple of sentences of that third big paragraph, it says, The passages below all use the plural you. Uh, Y-O-U can be you like you, like one person, or you like you all. All right? If you're down in the south, you would say y'all. All right? That makes it easier. All right? Paul didn't use y'all. He said you. But it's talking about plural, and it's speaking figuratively of all the members of this church. So it's not just one person but the body of Christ together constitutes the temple of the living God. Now, let's just read through these scriptures because obviously at the end of the day, this is going to be our measuring stick for all that we say and do and what we want to think as we wrestle through some of these things tonight. Here's what Paul says first in Ephesians 2. He says in verses 19 to 22, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So we are pictured as a building. We are pictured as a holy temple. Um, Paul, Peter is even going to talk about us as, as stones. We are the living stones that are a part of this temple that's being built. And, and again, it has no reflection on a physical building. It has everything to do with the indwelling spirit. Look down at 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, As you come to him, the living stone, speaking of Jesus Christ, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he again is connecting us as the temple to the work of the Spirit. The Spirit does this. He is the one that has brought us together. He is the one that is empowering us. And we're going to talk about this issue of power. What does that look like? Go to page 3.3. .3 because then we're going to hit some questions here related to these scriptures and just try to pull out some things from what Paul and Peter have said here. 
Here in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul says this, Don't you know that you, plural you, you yourselves are God's lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Again, now, and this is just over and over, and we've talked about it previous weeks, and that is, that's why we don't call this building Community Baptist Church. We don't say we're going to the church. And and Ken had to, Pastor Ken had to break me of that. We call it the Ministry Center, all right? And we got a bunch of names. Okay, I got to learn these things and say it right and all this kind of stuff. But that's a good point because I remember when our previous pastor uh, at, at Inner City back in 1989, when he became the pastor, we were talking about how that for years our auditorium was called the Sanctuary, all right? People call it the Sanctuary. Well, what does that, what does that do then? That, that gives us a picture that when we walk into that room, that's where God is. But the problem is that's not reflecting of what these scriptures are saying. Where we are as God's people, that's where God is. So, yes, we started calling our meeting room the auditorium. We call it here the auditorium because we don't want a picture in people's minds that people think, well, i got to go to the church to pray. Nothing wrong with going to the church to pray. But quite frankly, you can pray in your garage. You can pray in your basement. You can pray in your car. Just make sure you keep your eyes open if you're driving, all right? You know, we, it, it can be the real, reality of what Paul is trying to get us to see, that that is the beauty of the temple, which also helps us to see when it comes to evangelism, that evangelism, quite frankly, is not what used to be in church minds, and that is, you bring a bunch of people in and you get them saved at the church. That's why many churches for many years, the Sunday morning message at a number of churches for decades was a salvation message. And, and you got people who are coming who have been believers for years, for decades, but every Sunday message is a salvation message because we got to get the sinners in there to hear it. But the reality is the temple of God, the light on a hill that we are meant to be, are meant to be lights in Allen Park, in Southgate, in Trenton, in Rockwood, all over the place so that people are seeing lights and then when we gather together, they see a brighter light, hopefully because of the Spirit's work in our life. 2 Corinthians 6.16, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Finally, Ephesians 4 says this, and this is a important statement as it reflects on the picture of the church as a temple make every effort to keep the unity of unity of the spirit through the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all now having read through those scriptures fairly quickly quicker than i would like to have read through them and not be able to interact with them a lot. At least this question below them helps us to interact a little bit. And the question asks, what does the metaphor of the church as a temple communicate about the church? Metaphor is just a picture. What kind of picture is this, the, the church as a temple, what is it telling us about the church? Anything from five texts, yes, five texts that we just looked at, anything that you can see that tells us something about this temple, what we are like, what is it showing, what is it saying to those around us? Anything that sticks out. And Good. So one thing that Wes has said is we have a church that's not a building, it's a body, it's believers, and that body of believers are set apart, holy, sacred, different. Now, we can think in terms of holy is Amish-like, all right? And that's what some people have thought for many decades. And that is, if, if we are holy, that means we're kind of Amish-like. In other words, we don't do this, we don't do this, we don't eat this, we don't go there. All this kind of we don't, 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 all right? At the end of the day, sacred, different, is we are unique from the world. Not that we are better, we are different and unique, but what makes us unique, here's the key. 
is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because when we look at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at it tonight. Ephesians chapter 5 says we are to be filled with the Spirit, and then it proceeds to describe what evidences of being filled with the Spirit look like. And do you understand that even part of that is husbands loving wives, wives submitting to husbands, children obeying parents, workers being good workers, bosses being good bosses, assuming all these people are believers, worship, singing, giving thanks. There's just a massive list that could go on and on. And Paul only scratches the surface in chapters 5 and 6 of Ephesians, chapter 4, 5, and 6, but especially after he says what he does in chapter 5. So very good, Wes. Anything else that you can think of pictures? Bill. I took away that if, if the church is the building, then the Spirit stays in the building. If the church is the people, the Spirit leaves with the people as they go out in their and, and can work through them. Exactly this point of Jesus saying as... as uh, I guess Pastor did preach through this, I don't know how many weeks ago, I'm trying to think how long ago, that we are the light of the world, we're the salt of the earth, all right? We are the light of the world that shines fairly brightly when we are together. But that light doesn't go out when we leave here. We are still the light of the world. And by God's design, he has sprinkled that light in different locations where we have different spheres of influence. Wherever we work, neighbors we're near, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Anything else? You know, in Ephesians 4 that we just read there, it's talking about unity, and then it says one, 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 one. Multiple times it says one. All right? Um, what is this temple, the body of Christ, supposed to show to the world as it relates to that passage of Scripture? I mean, think in terms of global, all right? Think in terms of the church as it relates to the world, as it relates to that statement in Ephesians chapter 4. We're the temple, we're the body of Christ. What is it saying to the world? Okay. One way to the Father. Think even bigger. And I shouldn't say think bigger. It sounds like that's pretty big. All right. But think in terms of globally, one way to the Father. What does that say about the world? All right. You can think of ISIS right now or ISIL, whatever you want to call it. All right. All these kind of things. What does the gospel do that nothing else in this world can do. It can bring nations, races, people, languages, ethnic backgrounds, genders, bring them all together as one. Only the Spirit can do that. Only the Spirit can do that through the body of Christ. That's why he is saying right here that this temple that we are, this we are one body, one spirit. As you remember, Jesus prayed in John 17... I and the Father are one, and I pray for them that they will be one as we are one. That the message of transformation in the gospel is the Spirit works in us. And this is, this is really key on a practical person-to-person level. The Spirit works in us to bring about reconciliation between us and God, but reconciliation between us and one another. In other words, let's just cut to the chase. If we can't get along and love one another, we got nothing to offer the world. We got zip. But it's the Spirit at work in our life to show us where we are unloving, where we are focused on self, which if we're focused on self, never unites us, never makes us one. But if we are one because of the Spirit's work, that is the picture of the temple. The temple is this beautiful one. All right? It's not a temple that's in Istanbul. It's like this beautiful temple there or this beautiful temple built in this country, that country. That's not it at all. It is one temple of God's people being united so that someday that one te- temple will be in heaven of all nations, languages, and peoples. That's what the Spirit is doing. That's what is amazing. Now let's go over one more passage of Scripture, page 3.4. This is the one I already alluded to. And this is really, really a key one tonight uh, as we're considering the work of the Spirit and really measuring how we know if the Spirit is at work in Community Bible Church or any church for that matter. 
Okay, Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. You've probably had, if you've been here, Pastor Ken's probably commented on this, taught on this at some point, or you've heard teaching on this, but I want to make something, a couple things crystal clear. It says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, he gives a picture, and I'm not going to read what's below that. You can read what's below that. Essentially, what he was saying was in the, the wicked emphasis and wow i'm like way behind here on flipping these things good thing i've got the powerpoint this is very handy isn't it yeah very effective all right we're down to ephesians ephesians 5 all right there we go we're caught up all right if in the city of ephesus part of their worship involved drinking and involved very vile practices that was a part of them basically letting go Letting go and letting whatever control them. Well, that whatever that controlled them obviously wasn't God. Most likely it was demonic forces that are very much a part of religions. And I don't mean that every religion has demons that are making weird things happen. But quite honestly, Scripture talks about doctrines of demons. And that is, Satan is a master at proliferating a bazillion religions and even denominations out there. So people question which one's right. And, and and isn't that bigoted to say your one is the right one? Because Oprah would say that. She'd say, you know what? There's a lot of ways to get to God. And so, yeah, now her quotes are all getting on Starbucks car, uh, cups now. So I don't know. You know, it's one of those things. Um, that's the reality of what the world says. She's not unusual because most people are saying that. There's a lot of different ways to get to God. But here, as we look at what he's saying is, the evidence of what's happening is there's some that, something else that's controlling us. He says, don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Some have taken this in the past and in churches as this is something we pray for. We pray for being filled with the Spirit. Now, understand this. I'm going to say this very simply, very succinctly, and then we have to move on. When you and I, at the moment we become a believer we get 100% of the Holy Spirit. The problem is the Holy Spirit doesn't have 100% of us. Until the day we die, he won't have 100% of us. He's still working on us. We're still a work in progress. And that's really what we're talking about because when it says be filled with the Spirit, two things about that. It is a command. It's telling us that it's something we must do. It's also the way it was written by Paul. It was a continuous command. In other words, you don't do this once and then you got it. All right. It's not like, all right, I pray for this or I work this up and boom, I'm in the club. I'm in the fill with the spirit club because the word that Paul used and the way he wrote it was it's a command and it's something we've got to keep on doing. I have to keep on being filled with the spirit. So that means on any given day, I am, and here's where you can best plug in this word. Take out the word filled and change it to controlled. Now, I'm not trying to change scripture, but that's the picture that Paul was drawing here. When someone is drunk with wine, that person, when they get drunk, they are not controlling their senses anymore. Their alcohol is. He says, now, on the flip side, with that picture in mind, the Holy Spirit is what's supposed to control us. So what we're saying here is, what sets us apart as the church is the spirit controls us, nothing else. You know, that's what makes us different. So, having said that, just asking this simple question, and I'll throw it up here so I have it on the PowerPoint, but it's in, it's in part of what we're looking at here. What are the results of a church being filled by the Holy Spirit that Paul lists here? If we look in just these verses, verses 18, 19, 20, and 21, what are some of the things that it says here? I've listed four very quickly uh, things that it's saying because we are controlled by the Spirit, this is what happens. What are some of the things that it says here in these verses? And if you don't have a book, you're like, I have no idea because I don't have it from Okay, gratitude. All right. It says. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Okay, this is not for, hey, thanks for that extra check in the mail. 
uh, all those good things, but it is a life of gratitude or thankfulness in everything. Easy to be thankful when everything's going well. But an evidence of the Spirit is we are learning to be thankful for everything. And that means with or without, good or bad, health, no health. Good, very good. Another one. What else do you see there? Okay, selflessness. Why do you say that? Absolutely. In other words, I'm going to put down, I'm not put down myself, but put myself in a position of service to others, just as Jesus said in Matthew 20. He said, I came not to be served, to be ministered to. I came to serve and minister and give my life a ransom for many. So one of the evidences of the Spirit in the temple, the body of Christ is, I put down what I want so that I may better serve you. That is, and again, this goes back to our first or second week. Remember we said how in Acts chapter 2, the people were favorably disposed to this early church, and Bev brought out that, and she's like, I don't remember this, I'm still trying to remember what happened yesterday, that they were together, 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 and they gave, they forgot about themselves. Well, no, it's easy for us to remember ourselves. But with the Spirit's work and us listening to Him and being controlled by Him through the Word, then we put that down. What else? Anything else you see here? Yeah, here in this this page, on the top of page uh, 3.4 in that book. Yes, yeah. There in Ephesians 5, verse 20, also you'll find that same thing in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 maybe, 17, 16. All right. Here's another one from this. Communication of truth to one another. It says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In other words, it changes our communication. Now, do we talk about sports and the weather and many other things? We do. There ought to be something more to life than just that. That doesn't mean that we awkwardly force ourselves when we walk in church to talk only church talk, and when we walk out of church, we can talk everything else. But quite frankly, if we go back to Deuteronomy 6, it was giving that picture for the family and into the extended family now in the church of our communications should be sprinkled with truth that affects our life because that's how the Spirit is working through truth. One more I would throw out there, and that is, personal worship with the truth because it says here we're speaking to ourselves with psalms hymns and spiritual song and we sing and make music in our hearts to the lord in other words this evidence of the spirit is not just we show up in church which i'm doing the bad thing all right i'm calling this church all right we show up at the ministry center and we do church that's not what he's saying here He's saying here the evidence of the Spirit in the life of the body in us as the temple is it gives us a personal worship with the truth. In other words, worship isn't Sunday. Life is worship. That's really what we have to drive into our head. If worship is Sunday, we've missed the point of what the Spirit's doing, the, the activity of the Spirit in our lives. All right, now, going through some stuff pretty quick. Any questions so far? What we talked about with the Spirit, Spirit's work, Spirit's ministry, Spirit filling, anything? All right, hang on. We got 18 minutes. I got to keep moving. All right. Now consulting other sources, all right? We, we've tried to grasp the main issue that we've already laid out, looking through some of the scriptures and seeing what it's saying about the Holy Spirit. Because, as I said, I think the first week... You know, I, I think I think it was in here. I'm starting to mix up whether it was this class or new members class. Uh, it might have been new members class now that I think of it because it was in the same room. Um, talking about spirit-motivated ministry, people wanting to know what is my spiritual gift, all right? That's always a, a nagging question. What is my spiritual gift? And people, did we talk about that in here? Okay, I'm looking around, seeing the whites of your eyes. Okay, then it was a new member class. All right, I'll weave it back in here. When we're talking about spiritual gifts... Um, I would venture to say that if we passed out a piece of paper on Sunday and asked all the members of community write down what they think their spiritual gift is, I would say that the majority would say, I don't know. 
Now, is that because we failed as a church? No, a lot of times it's because we just don't know how to ascertain that. Maybe we haven't been, depending on where we've been in life, where we've been, what we've learned in life. My simple statement in the new members class was, because I was asked this question a couple times in China, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? And there's all these spiritual gift tests and all this kind of stuff, which sometimes I'm skeptical of those because many of those are based more on psychological issues, just like a psychological temperament test that work jobs do. They've just added some extra twists that include scripture. Um, at the end of the day, here's what I do know. Here's what we do know. When it talks about a spirit-directed community, I know this. Every one of us, according to 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter 4, every one of us in this room has at least one gift for ministry in a local church. At least one. That we know for sure. And we know that that gift is not given for my benefit. In other words, for making me feel good about me or making people look at me. It's been given for me for the common good, for the good of the church. Now, how do I know what it is? Well, I'd answer that question the same way I did in China, very simply. You don't have to take a big test. If somebody comes to community and says, I don't know what my gift is, I'd say, well, here's what you do. You, you start with the understanding God has given you a gift. And you start with saying, well, God, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to pray that you will show me what that gift is. And you know what the best way to start then after number one and number two? Is you step in and serve wherever you see an opportunity to serve. You may say, well, I don't know if that's my gift. Well, big whoop. Because Jesus said, I came to serve and to minister. He didn't say, well, based on what I knew of myself, this is what I came to do. This is my slice. As we roll up our sleeves and start to serve, helping out with coffee and snacks, cleaning, whatever the case may be, on that path of doing what we all should be doing, serving, God will show you. There is no question in my mind, God will show you. But the problem is, we slip, in, we slip into punt and sit back and wait for the ball to come to me, and it's not going to come to you. It will never be revealed sitting around waiting for it to come. You will sit and wait for that manifestation of the Spirit to show you, like, boom, there it is. It won't, it won't come. It comes as I'm saying, God, I am praying that you'll show me this is your will. You've given me a gift for this church, so I'm going to start serving whenever I hear there's something to do. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and do that, and hopefully in time you'll show me right where I fit. And I guarantee if that's what you pray and that's what you do, that's what God will do because he has said that's the way he operates. That's how the Spirit directs us. And the reason I say that is because we don't want to at community or any church for that matter just say, well, just because we are a church, we must have all these ministries. It's good to have different ministries, but at the end of the day, if, if the leadership says, well, we must have this ministry, and then we try to force some people, strong-arm people into doing something, where is the Spirit's work in that? You know, um, I don't want to stick round pegs in a square hole. And they may be round pegs, and it may be a round hole, but I want them to know that they did it because God provided this, and they felt called of God to do it. That doesn't mean there was a voice. doesn't mean there was necessarily a feeling. But they saw on the path of service that God had prepared them, and this opportunity was in front of them. And, and that's how they operate. So having said that, let's jump over to a little bit of the consult other sources. And since I gave you the homework late and most of you didn't get it for whatever reason, the email didn't work, I don't know why, um, I only said to focus on the first one because there's really two articles this time and they're pretty lengthy when you put the two together, but they're both good and they both look at different things. So we're going to do the flyover. It's kind of like if you're taking, uh, I've never, never done this, but I've seen it, uh, somebody's taking uh, flight lessons and they're learning to do the, the what they call it? This is me watching stupid shows late at night on a Discovery Channel. It's like the Alaskan Wild Pilots. The, uh, it was a really cool show. I thought it was cool. My wife probably thinks it's boring as can be. But they do the stop and go where they're coming in like they're going to land and they're going to stop and they're going to take off because it could be a bad landing, all right? That's what we're doing. We're going to stop, look, and keep on going, all right? That's, that's part of what we're going to have to do here. First is this article, The Spirit in the Church. This article by uh, David Watson is looking at aspects about the Spirit's work in the church. And I just want to hit a couple of things because of time tonight and then draw together on some final discussion. 
If you look on page 3.5, over on the far right side under distinct from the church, distinct from the church, I'm just going to skip on down to that for time. There's a box there in the center. If you go down below it, go to the right column, just down below it, there's a section there that's talking about the Holy Spirit. And, boy, I don't know how you tell this. Okay, there's the paragraph at the bottom. Go up about six lines. About six lines from that bottom right paragraph. It says, one reason for the church's confusion about the Spirit. Have you found that? All right, good. I heard them. Mm-hmm. Okay. One reason for the church's confusion about the Spirit may be that he's often thought and spoken of as an impersonal it. Why would we even say that? Anybody have a clue why, why we might have come to that conclusion? Well, here's part of where that history came in. The King James Version, um, bless their souls, 1611 and beyond, and really the one that we have today isn't really 1611, it's 1769. But they translated in Romans 8.16, it says, they said, the Spirit itself bears witness that we are the children of God. Well, they translated in, in Greek, there is feminine, masculine, and neuter, all right? Well, that one is a neuter word, so they translate it itself. Well, that makes it sound like the Spirit is a thing. It's kind of like Star Wars, may the force be with you. What is it? Well, it's not a person, it's a thing, all right? Well, that's part of the problem then is we've thought, all right, I can relate to a father, I can relate to a son, perhaps, but, and then this didn't even help either, because then you got before the word Holy Spirit, it was Holy Ghost. You know, and if we kid grown up as ghosts, it's like, that doesn't really help. But now I'm creeped out, you know, so that doesn't help at all. All right, so when we're talking about it, that's the problem then, is we don't have a connection with the Spirit and recognize the Spirit is a person, is just as much a person, as just as much God as the Father and the Son. But admittedly, the Spirit's relationship with us seems a little bit murky in our minds because we can't relate to spirit only. We can relate to the father and son because then we have a visual picture of what a father or a son might look like. It's not going to look like what God looks like, but obviously we have something to be a reference point. So that's the difficulty as we look at the ministry of the spirit in our life. Now go over another page to page 3.6. on the left column, you go down about the middle point. It says, second, no group within the church. Have we found that? All right. And if you've got highlighters, you can highlight it. If you don't, that's fine. It says, second, no group within the church can claim a special monopoly of the Spirit. All true Christians have the Spirit within them. As Romans goes on to say, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So, there are some who might say that the evidence that you are a Christian is you've got some of the Spirit. Well, every Christian, if we are a true Christian, we don't just have a force, a thing. We have the Spirit of God. And here's where it gets a little trickier for us. Sometimes it's called the Spirit of Christ. So it's almost like the work of the Spirit and the work of Christ overlap so much in the work of redemption that they're spoken of as one. All right. So this is the work of the Spirit. And the evidence, if we look further down in that, everyone has the Spirit of God. And here in Acts chapter 6, right below that, he was talking about in the early church when they were picking out seven men, Stephen being one of them. And Stephen being one of them, these were men that were Spirit-filled. Well, what do Spirit-filled men look like? Well, these were men of incredibly godly character. Because if you read in Acts chapter 6 describing Stephen and the other people, other six other men, these were men of godly character, and particularly Luke took great pains to highlight that godly character of Stephen. So the being filled with the Spirit is all of us have it, and it's showing it through its character, the character of our life. Now, go to the, the right side column under the author and giver of life. All right? There are three quick things I want to hit there as it relates to the Spirit's work in our, in our church or in any church. Uh, right in the center of that right column, it starts with a paragraph by saying, it is therefore of paramount importance. All right, you caught that spot? 
Every church should not only understand the person, the work of the Spirit, but be open wide to his invigorating power. All right? I'll admit, and if you read through this whole article, there's a couple things that this writer says that's a little scary. Uh, scary in the sense it could be dangerous, in the sense of the way he describes it as being open to the Spirit. Let me, let me just give you for instance, and I, and I know I'm rabbit trailing myself, but I have to do this to make it clear. I, I cringe when somebody says, God told me to do X, all right? I cringe when somebody says that. Um, now, does, can the Spirit prompt you and me to do something? And I would say, yes, he can in line with the Word of God. But the danger is when somebody says, God told me to do X, because what if X turns out really badly, who's the fault? Who's to blame? What if it doesn't turn out to be very much like what the Bible says? It's very much unlike what the Bible says. Well, we've claimed an authority that God told me this. And the reality is God is speaking one way today and only one way, through his word, by his spirit. Now, I can grant that God can apply his truth to you and me in different ways. Um, how that looks in my life or your life or a believer's life in China or in Thailand or in France, it could look different in the application perhaps because the Spirit applies it to us where we are in the time frame we are and the culture we are. All right? Those things are true. So I want to make sure that we are open wide to the Spirit's power, but we understand that the Spirit displays his power in our lives as we yield to him through the word of God. All right? Does that make sense? Or have I just lost you off into the woods? Um, it's specifically about what part of what I just said. Because <laughs> I just said a whole mess of stuff. And I'm... Yeah, you know, say for example in China, uh, in, this, is, this is a silly example. Um, you know, we can say, here, here's one that's just a very silly example. Greet the brethren with a holy kiss. All right, we're commanded to do that. All right? Uh, we are commanded at least two, I think, two, two times in Scripture. All right? Now, that is a command. That is something we ought to be doing in the church. Um, I didn't see any kissing going on tonight coming in, and I didn't see any on Sunday. So we are messing it up big time. Now, culturally speaking, I saw handshaking coming in on Sunday, maybe some tonight as well, you know, maybe some high fives, whatever, low fives, whatever, um, fist bumps, whatever. You go to France, how are you greeting people? Oh, yeah, it's like awkward city, all right? Now, what I mean is the Spirit's going to prompt. I, people ask me, how did you make the decision to go to China? You know, and I could have said, well, I prayed and prayed, and I kept picking things up, and it said, made in China, made in China. Oh, God wants me in China, all right? <laughs> That's how I ended up in China. Well, if we all did that, we'd all end up in China. You know, everything's made in China. But I want to look at, in terms of the Spirit working, I wanted to be open to the Spirit's directing in my life. He may use circumstances. He, we all know we are to fulfill the Great Commission and evangelize. Where does that mean I do it? Does that mean that since I went to China, you should all go to China? No. But God may use circumstances and prompt me through the word. And I'm not sure if I'm making this more murky or not um, because I think I'm disconnecting on what specifically you were looking for. So how's that for a non-answer answer? <laughs> because essentially what, I, what I'm trying to drive at is the spirit is at work in our life and we want to listen to him, but he is speaking first and foremost through his word. But I can say that he does prompt me in the moment by application to do something. Say, for example, I am to love someone. Maybe you got an example. Go ahead, Mal. Yeah, I, I might. I just have a question. Why the state? Mm-hmm. I, I think that the
Yeah. Well, and, and part of what will happen with people with books and music and other things, and, I'm, and again, this is one of these rabbit trails, and then we're done tonight. Um, people will say, God inspired me to do that. And they want to equate that with the, the words in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So these people wrote this music because they were inspired by God. Or these people wrote these books because they were inspired by God. Or they did this ministry because they were inspired by God. But that, that shows we have a wrong understanding of that word inspiration in 2 Timothy 3. Because at the end of the day, it wasn't the writers who were inspired. It is the scriptures that were inspired. In other words, the word inspired literally means breathed out by God. What we have at the end result is words that are the breathed out message of God. Now, if I write music or I write a book and I say that this is inspired by God, I'm as bad as, man, I can't think of, who's the dude that started the Book of Mormon? Joseph Smith. I'm as bad as Joseph Smith, quite frankly, because I'm saying what I am writing here came directly from God. That's incredibly dangerous because as far as I'm concerned, or as I should say as far as Scripture is concerned, God is done speaking. He speaks to His Word. Now, the application could be different in different cultures and different times. So, having just fudged on that answer, I'm going to think through that and try to give an illustration. One more, Carolyn, next week. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't have any problem. I mean, what you said was was right on, Carol, and that is, if I understand um, what, and I think it was in the Discovering God Hour that I alluded to this in Isaiah 46, 9, and 10. Remember the former things that for I'm God and there's none else there. I'm God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. I've planned everything, including those chance phone calls, those unusual connections with somebody. You talk with somebody about a situation and you have no idea that there's a parallel that somebody that you run into that somehow fits and provides a ministry opportunity. I can say that's a God-ordained opportunity. Now, I can't say God told me to go and do that and that's why I'm there. I may have gone somewhere, done something. I may have felt motivated that I should give. I don't know why. And I give. And then maybe later I find out why. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. That God provides... Here, here's what Galatians 6 says. As you have, therefore, opportunity, do good to all men, but especially to those that are of the household of faith. So God and His providence is providing opportunities to serve all people, saved and unsaved, but we better not blow it to believers because we have a built-in commitment. We are one in Christ. So you're right. God is providing those providential opportunities. The only danger I'm throwing on the table is saying, God told me to do this, or God inspired me to do this, or this is a God thing. Well, I don't like that statement because everything's a God thing. If we're honest, everything is a God thing. Just because it happens to be it fits together, that somehow is a God thing. Um, getting a cold's a God thing, all right? Because God may be giving me a cold to see, am I going to be thankful for the next three days while I'm hacking and coughing and, and sneezing my head off? All right? Or am I going to complain, complain, complain? Well, then there's some sanctification he's got to work on. And you're like, let's go home and work on that sanctification. All right. Let me just leave you with one thought because we've run way out of time. The greater evidence of the Spirit's work in this body, this temple, is not the miraculous, is not the unique, unusual opportunities. It's the day-to-day surrendering to the control of the Spirit that shows itself in a selfless, loving, unified, 
forget about me, focus on others relationship, whether that's in marriage, whether that's parents and child, whether that's in worship, whether that's in thankfulness, whether that's in work relationships, whatever it may be. Every one of these are a part of displaying that the Spirit's at work in the people of community. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the patience of these dear folks tonight as we've studied together. Uh, We certainly are thankful that not only do we have some of the Spirit, we have all of the Spirit. And if we would just be willing each day to continue to yield where you are challenging us to yield, to surrender to the areas that we need to change, that then we would certainly see more of your power, taste more of your goodness, and rejoice more in your grace. And Lord, I pray that you will continue to do this so that we will be not just bright lights as a corporate body together, but bright lights as we walk out of here in our community, wherever you've put us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Oh, before I forget, homework. If you do two things, if you sign this list, oh, that looks pretty meager. If you're able to sign for food for the hayride, that's there. Did everybody sign the attendance? All right. So here is the assignment. Let me just go around. You'll walk out and go, oh, I forgot it, and then, then I'll be to blame again. It'll be my fault because you're delinquent. It was my fault. All right, one for everybody. All right, and Lord willing, next week we'll try to get a little farther. And anytime, can I say this? My email still up there, hal at cbctrenton.com. Anytime you have a question in a class, don't hesitate to send me an email. Happy to answer it because your question you ask may be a question other people have we can throw back in, all right? Have a great night.